The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode features the first part of a discussion of the music of Pokemon Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution. And from Pikachu Podcast helps me analyze both Keep Evolving and a new rendition of Together with the Wind. After that, we begin talking about music that's not in this remake by going over We're a Miracle. If you want to hear even more about that song, be sure to listen after the outro. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from PV Podcast, and this is another in our Pokemon Music Discussion series. So this time around, we're going to be talking about the music of Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution. Of course, this is the CGI remake of Pokemon the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, that recently came out on Netflix about a week or so before we recorded this. And uh, we're going to be talking about the music that's in the movie. Uh, it'd be kind of interesting. I think we're also going to spend a fair bit of time talking about music that's not in the movie, which is kind of an, an odd thing. But I guess being a remake, that's something we have to cover. And we'll also be talking a little bit about the movie itself in a bonus segment that you'll hear after all of this. But, and we should probably start out, since this is a remake, um, to talk about how each of us experienced the original version of the movie. Um... Why don't you go ahead first? Uh, how did you experience this movie first time around, the original version? Um, well, way back in the day, um, I was babysitting for um, some family friends, and the kids wanted to watch the movie. Um, I was kind of on the fence about Pokemon at the time. like I was not as super into it, um, but they started watching the movie, and I got really engrossed. And so after they went to bed, I stayed up and finished the movie, and was just very charmed by a lot of the things in it that um, were kind of different than some of the other media I'd been consuming up to that point. It it really spoke to me on a deep level that has continued to this day. So in other words, you were watching the uh, it on like VHS or DVD or something like that in early 2000. Is that right then? Yes, DVD. So I was a little I was a little behind. I can't remember exactly how much because I did not see it in theaters. This show had been airing for quite some time without me really being like I was aware of it, but I wasn't watching very many episodes of it. But it was I think it was before the second movie had uh, aired in theaters here in the U.S. So I was a little late to the party, but not that late. What was kind of your uh, your take, your opinion quality wise on the movie uh, when you first saw it? At that time, I wasn't really focused on quality of visuals and the like and like cinematography and movie making um but i was very wrapped up in the story and the character relations especially like there were so many little character moments between ash and pikachu ash and charizard mewtwo and his search for meaning in life which was something that as a young teenager was very important to me like i was asking all those questions of who am i why am i here so I was just very struck by the deep feeling that was packed into um, a story that 
didn't seem to necessarily be about all those things. The actual movie making, I don't think I was conscious of thinking of it in that way. But in terms of just storytelling, I was very impressed. So despite what some of you in the audience may think, uh, I actually had a somewhat different opinion of this movie when I originally saw it. So back in 1999, I I did see this in theaters when I was uh, in high school. And um, I had been following the TV show. Uh, I guess I was one of those weird high school kids who actually got up early enough to watch Saturday morning cartoons. And, you know, I kind of had a take it or leave it is not the right word to refer to the TV show, but uh, I kind of enjoyed it. But I I think my enjoyment of the TV series increased dramatically once the To Be a Master album came out for some reason. I think I was able to connect more musically to it. But as far as the movie... You know, I knew a few things going in plot-wise about it from stuff I had read online. And uh, I went in there, and, you know, to kind of be honest, I really didn't like it all that much after I came out. I, I think I felt it it laid, or it put the uh, the, the anti-war message in there. It, it lingered on that a little too much, and I, I actually came out of it. The thought I, I remember having is that, oh, geez, this is... I think this is worse than the Mario movie that came out a few years earlier. And despite that, um, you know, I did get it on DVD the day it came out. If I remember correctly, it actually came out in the U.S. on DVD and VHS the same day as the NSYNC album No Strings Attached. Uh, So my mom had to buy that for my sister and the DVD for me. And um, over time... Uh, partially from reading fan reactions and stuff like that, my opinion of the original movie has actually improved. I I, I tend to refer to it, you've heard the term um, good-bad movie. That's that's not how I see the first movie. I see it as sort of a good and bad movie. What I mean by that is it has some parts that are extremely well done, but it also has some rough edges, some of which I would say, and we'll talk about this more later, I think date back to the original Japanese version. And, you know, I can kind of see why critics were not terribly pleased and why there's a contingent of folks on the internet that are like, you, you really need to see the original Japanese version with subtitles and whatnot. But um, my opinion of this dub, I think I've always liked it to a certain extent musically, but uh, it has definitely improved as time's gone on. But yeah, that was sort of how I experienced the first movie. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of folks have, have different ways. I'm sure a lot of folks who are going to hear this saw it in theaters when it came out and, and things of that nature. I guess I should ask, Ann, um, have you actually watched the original version, like, in Japanese with English subtitles? Uh, I, I know there's not really technically a way to do that, but... Uh... Well, I mean, you can buy the DVD... Well, no, it wouldn't have you. It doesn't have English subtitles, though, the Japanese DVD. Yeah, I have watched it in Japanese um, multiple times. Um, and I, I speak Japanese decently enough to watch a Pokemon movie. Um, I have opinions about it. I, I definitely think if you have the chance and you are invested in Pokemon and Pokemon storytelling, it is worth to see it at least once. Um, just because there are some subtleties and nuances that I feel and and people I've watched it with feel kind of just change how you see that story and make some things make a little bit more emotional sense. But I mean, it's not the world's worst 
translation, despite what people may be telling you. It's, it's actually not that much of a departure. There's just that one, just that one scene with Mew, man, that <laughs> I have feelings about. Yeah, we'll definitely bring that up a little bit later uh, because of how this this remake does handle that um, in a certain way. But yeah, that's sort of our our experience with the original version of the movie. I, I did, of course, get the like soundtrack CD for the English version, both the uh, the pop soundtrack, which was very commercially successful, and despite that, is um, really only available in physical form. And uh, the score album for the for the English version. I do also have the score album for the Japanese version. I picked that up a, a few years ago. Um, but that's sort of our history with that. Uh, what about this remake? Uh, I assume most of us saw it on, on Netflix. I, d- I did make it a personal effort. I did watch it twice on there. I watched it once in English and once in Japanese with English subtitles, which are not, as we'll talk about later perhaps, not totally directly tied to the original Japanese version, but certainly kind of closer to it. And what was sort of your your methodology for viewing this remake? Um, I got to watch it on Netflix. I didn't have a ton of time to devote to it. So I watched half of it in English and half of it in Japanese. I would say those, yeah, those subtitles are English closed captioning. So they have nothing to do with the Japanese dialogue. Like I said, the translation, the original translation is not that far off. So until you get to like some of those meteor scenes toward the end, especially that one with Mewtwo facing off against Mew, I don't think it matters much, but like once you get to that point, like I could definitely hear like, oh yeah, these have these subtitles are all about the English, English closed captioning. They have, they are not translating what is actually happening on screen, but like yeah, for the first half, like they were pretty darn on point. All right. Well, the actual musical portions of this, what we usually wind up talking about, are, are really kind of three things. We focus mainly on the end themes, uh, primarily just because the opening themes are usually somehow derived from what's ever happening in the TV show for that season. They're usually some version of the TV show theme song for that uh, for that season. Uh, so we end up talking a fair bit about the end themes. Um, we also usually do talk about the intro, uh, intro theme song, especially if it's been significantly rearranged or transformed from the TV version. And we also usually talk about the score. So that's sort of the, the trifecta here. These, if you've listened to our other discussions, uh, this is going to be a little bit structurally different in part because there's a lot of repeated content, but also some differences and stuff that we're going to have to go over. Um, but as far, as far as this remake, the ending theme song on the Japanese side, we have a remade version of Together with the Wind, mm-hmm. which obviously was also the, the same, uh, same-ish song. There are some, some interesting differences. Uh, on the Japanese side with, uh, let's see, uh, Kobayashi Sachiko and Shoku Nakagawa mm-hmm. sort of collaborating on this remake. And then on the English side, what we have is a, a totally new song called Keep Evolving. I think lead vocals on that are done by Haven Pashal and uh, also some stuff from, let's see, Charity Gooden and A Name That Escapes Me who did the um, the stuff from the XYN themes. It's all people that... Kind of, I guess, somewhat inconveniently slash conveniently for this discussion, um, we've talked about before in previous discussions when they've done songs there. So it's a little bit odd in that regard. But Anne, why don't you give folks at home, we're going to talk about the Japanese one first, 
as far as its production. Um, and why don't you give us a little refresher on who Kobayashi Sachiko and Shoko Nakagawa are? Um, so Kobayashi Sachiko, she is a Enka singer in Japan, and Enka is kind of a old-fashioned style of Japanese music. It's a very very blue collar in the way we would view country music over here, I think. Um, it, it's, an, it's an acquired taste for those of us who are Western and not used to that style of music. Um, there's a lot of pitch modulation um, involved in the best Enka singers. Um, and she is able to apply some of that Enka quality to her uh, performance in this song. She's been involved with Pokemon in a lot of ways. She was part of the trio Suzuki... Was it Suzuki-kan? And kind of helping out a lot of Pokemon musical and voiceover work in the early days. She does the voice of Voyager or Miranda as well in this movie. And then Shoko Nakagawa was kind of a kid when Pokemon came out. She's a model who specializes in cosplay. She's a, a talent, an idol in Japan. And she's one of the things she's really known for is her diehard love of anime and Pokemon in specific. And she has been kind of the face of Pokemon promo in Japan for a while. Um, she's been involved in almost every movie for the past at least decade. Um, and she is also on this track. And I think it's just a lovely blend of old and new to bring this movie together. Like, it's that's a nice touch. That's clever. Yeah, Shoko's done a couple songs for Pokemon over the years as well. And like you mentioned, that uh, Kobayashi has that connection to Suzuki-san. Uh, the other members, by the way, are uh, Ima Kuni, who we talked about a fair bit during our last discussion on the Pokemon trading card game for Game Boy, since he's a a, uh, a, a non-player character or, uh, in that game that you can encounter as, as kind of an oddball character. Raymond is someone with more of an English background who also speaks Japanese. And actually, if you listen to the Japanese audio track, he's the guy who voices the pirate during the, uh, that appears during the opening sequence. But uh, in, in any event there, that you did tell me earlier, there appears to be a new arranger mm -hmm. on this uh, new version. Uh, who is that? Do you know anything about that person? Yeah. So a new arranger for uh, the Kazai to Ishoni um, movie 22 edition is Seiji Kameda. Um, I wasn't able to find out a ton of background on him. Um, he was working with a uh, composer, Hirokazu Tanaka, who did the original composition for Kaze Toishoni. Um, the original arranger was Ryo Sawada. So a little bit of a change there in personnel, but otherwise it's 90% the same people on this track. And yet it's, it sounds very different. <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely go into some of the musical differences uh, when we start talking about the actual song. Uh, we usually wind up actually ping-ponging back and forth a little bit, but um, in any event, let's uh, head back over to the English side. As, as far as production on this, uh, one of the folks in our chat room was very nice and let me know that the other person who does uh, vocals on this is Danny Marcus, who most of you will know did the ending theme songs for all of the XY movies, the Diancy movie, the Hoopa movie, and the Magirna movies. Uh, we talked about all of those, I believe, last year. So those should actually all be in the podcast if you want to know more about that. I guess Ben Dixon did some stuff in there as well for Keep Evolving. And it was written by Ed Goldfarb, the usual folks there. So all, all folks we've discussed before, I did briefly consider like finding one of the backup people and doing like a deep dive on that. 
since these folks were all already in the orbit of Pokemon music already, uh, it's pretty easy to see why they would uh, get involved on a project like this. It just kind of all makes sense. And uh, obviously this song was written for this movie, uh, unlike a certain other song that we will probably bring up as a comparison point at uh, some point in this discussion. But, uh, you know, really don't have, unfortunately, a ton to say there. I do know from reading some like YouTube comments and whatnot that apparently this song was localized to other languages, uh, which is something that wasn't always done with the first couple movies, um, but has become, I think, more common. Sometimes you get the English version in other territories for the ending theme song or even the opening. But in this case, it seems like this ending the song was localized to other languages, which is, I guess, kind of a neat touch there. I'd love to hear some of those. I got to look those up. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I haven't seen those. Uh, nothing on YouTube has directed me to those, at least. Nothing has suggested them. They're, some of them are, are probably out there. But if you do want to hear the song outside the movie, there are kind of ways you can do that. Um, but kind of unfortunately, um, that's about all I can really say production-wise, since there aren't that many new people. But uh, if you want to know more about them, just go back to the discussion of the X and Y and uh, the other, uh, I guess you could say, reboot continuity timeline uh, movies that we've talked about. And you'll get a pretty good idea of who Ed Goldfarb and uh, you know Charity Gooden, Haven Pichal, by the way, is also, and uh, Danny Marcus, I believe, both done voice acting. Haven is, is best known for being the voice of Serena in the XY generation mm-hmm. and has done a number of other Pokemon voices over time. So that's where all those folks come from. So like I said, not a surprise that they're involved in this movie, although nothing against them. I do kind of hope that uh, going forward that we start getting some some other voices in there. I do kind of like getting new folks every once in a while, regardless of how good the uh, the other folks, uh, the folks doing the last couple movies are. It's always, to me, nice to have some some variety in there. But uh, going back to the Japanese side, let's talk about this new version of uh, Together with the Wind or Kaze to Isho Ni and sort of how, as you mentioned, it is somewhat different. Uh, Lyrically, it seems to be very similar, has, you know, a lot of the same underlying melody and stuff like that. Um, But definitely would say the the tone of the production is is rather different. If I remember correctly, I re-listened to both the original version and the new version yesterday. The original version was more designed to sound like it was being performed like on a stage with a, with a large orchestra right in there and whatnot. I don't know how much that was actually the case, but it had a more open feel. And this one seems much more like a studio production. Um, would you say that's a fair assessment, Anne? I would, yeah. The first one, it builds with like that like very sparse um, instrumentation and then just the child's voice. And then it slowly grew. More instruments came in. Things swelled. Like the children's choir came in <laughs> at the end. Um, it, it did have that feel of a stage presentation and very, like you said, open. Whereas this, a very different feel. And I would say like the original track opened very melancholy as well, which I liked a lot. This one opens with a, a instrumental riff that's, feels much more soothing and positive. Like, I almost wasn't sure I was actually listening to Kaze Toishini until the words came in, because the opening was such a very different musical feel. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree with a little bit of that. I was 
pretty much locked straight on to the the Kaze Toishuni as the <laughs> I'm not sure if that's quite the the best phraseology to use there or whatever but um <laughs> I think you get what I mean there is it, it very much struck me as that song so I didn't have quite that experience with it <laughs> the the instrumentation as you, as you might guess from that it would follow a little bit uh in sort of the in sort of a similar pattern I think there's the piano is more prominent in this one than it was in the original version and the strings are a little bit it, there is sort of an orchestral presence there but it's not nearly as as big there mm. and a bit more balanced throughout i think like not just starting sparse and growing to the end it's a bit more balanced in the in the beginnings and middle i be- believe maybe <laughs> although i suspect some of that might just be the way audio is mastered nowadays with less dynamic range but i don't know could be yeah <laughs> One of the things that kind of struck me was in the original version, the child sings, you know, its opening part and then the it and the kids choir kind of join at the end. Here, there were a lot of interesting moments where uh, Shoko and Kobayashi kind of like came together and blended in middle parts of the song on particular lines that kind of just made them have that little extra pop and a little bit extra emotional meaning. Um I'm not sure I'm in love with this arrangement as a whole, but like there were a lot of little touches like that that I found very sweet. Yeah, I did listen to this a few times since my Japanese is just virtually non-existent. I, mm-hmm. I know a few phrases here and there. It's I don't recall picking up on on stuff like that, but I did want to talk a little bit about the lyrics um, since you know I assume they're mostly unchanged from the original version, if not completely unchanged. But what is this song talking about? Um, so this song is talking about kind of. A person leaving home and um, going on a long journey and kind of the the various feelings that they experience along the way, having encounters and partings and just the sense of like, how long is this journey going to go on? And I kind of mentioned like the original version starts out a little bit melancholy um, where it kind of like starts out like, oh my gosh, how long are you going to continue to walk? Like, how long is this going to go? And then at the end, it's like almost more of a joyous, like, how long is this going to go? Like, we're we're going to step on the great earth and go anywhere. So it's kind of just a, you can take it off as Ash's Pokemon journey, but also like the journey of life. It's like, life has a lot of ups and downs and you leave where you started and you come back and things are different and you have to say goodbye to your past and move forward. There's a lot of those imageries and feelings in it. Yeah, one thing we had definitely observed when we talked about this song originally back in 2016, that uh, it, it definitely captures a lot of aspects of Pokemon, the the franchise and the series and stuff like that, but not so much... Uh, the movie itself, mm. um, and, and I think you, you and I still uh, feel that way about it, right, Anne? Yeah, I'm. Recently, I've kind of come around to like you could take it as a metaphor for Mewtwo's journey because he kind of starts off the movie in that same place of like, who am I? Where am I? What is this? How long am I going to have to continue to walk this uncertain path? And by the end of the movie kind of has an appreciation for life and the potential and hope that is given to all living things, regardless of how they were born. But again, it's a metaphorical connection. There's not a lot of literal tie-ins to the events of the movie. Hi there. 
I'm Matt Collins, the president of the Pokecasters Network. You are hearing this message because this podcast is either a member of our network or supporting our summer 2020 charity series. If you haven't heard about these events yet, let me fill you in. This summer, we are teaming up with an amazing ensemble of podcast hosts and streamers to raise money for Children's Miracle Network. We want to help as many sick children as possible. While we host events and ask for donations, we are also thanking donors with prize giveaways. That said, we have four upcoming events I'd like you to be aware of. The first is on Saturday, May 30th. We are hosting a trivia stream with some of your favorite podcasters competing against each other. Several of our contestants have volunteered to keep the game interesting and are allowing viewers to use their donations to make them take a drink, so to speak. So you can definitely help keep the game entertaining. The next is on Saturday, June 6th. We will be holding a Pokemon Pictionary night with various streamers and podcasters competing in a Pokemon-themed game of Pictionary. Your donations can help influence the game in categories. Third, on June 13th, we will be hosting a special game we are calling Pokey Pub Trivia. This bar-style trivia night is a chance for you and a team of friends to come together and play trivia with us live. Winning players and teams will be eligible for prizes. The game is broken into rounds, and each round will have a special guest host. Finally, we are in the works on planning a VGC tournament for some time later in June. We are still working on details with information to come. Now, for more information, you can find Pokecasters Network on Twitter. Additionally, all information is found on our website, pokecastersnetwork.com. Thank you, and we hope to see you come support your favorite podcasters and help the cause. Okay, well, there is one thing with the new version I kind of wanted to run by you in regards to sort of the the movie and its characters. So in this new version, we have two lead singers, Kobayashi and Shoko, and we have sort of the sort of the child. I, I think it is a different recording. They didn't just obviously they couldn't use the same kid from twenty years ago. That would be <laughs> that would be a bit odd. Um, it's like them as an ad- middle aged adult now. <laughs> then then again, Shoko is is a middle aged adult. So hey, <laughs> I suppose. But I want to to sort of point something out is that we have sort of two adults and a kid. Could you? theoretically sort of apply that to Mew, Mewtwo, and Satoshi or Ash. Could you sort of view it that way? Does it work? Am I just trying to put a square peg in a round hole or something there? What do you think? Well, I mean, putting square pegs into round holes is what my podcast is all about. Um, That is an interesting idea. Like, there, there is a case to be made, like, like if we're thinking like Ash represents sort of the innocence of youth and between Mew and Mew too, Mew having like the wisdom of the ancients, having been around and living life for a while and Mew too, uh, not having a lot of life, but having a very cynically mature attitude toward it. Like there, yeah, there's a case to be made that there's some dichotomy between those three and the, adults and child relationship in the song there's something to be said there i think yeah i'm not sure if that was intentional or just happy branding or or what (laughs) i'm not sure if they divvied up the lyrics in a particular way to perhaps make that a a thing i guess we may not know unless they uh put something out there for for us to to hear and stuff like that but definitely since they did make some deliberate changes to um, who sang what lines, basically. Like, I'm sure there was some thought in it, but you're right, we may never know exactly what it was if they don't tell us. 
And uh, I guess we should say, uh, how do you feel overall about these two versions? Uh, is there, first of all, is there anything else about this new version that you think works better, either for any changes they made or the new art style, you know, the, the 3D CG or changes in musical tastes over the years? Uh, any thoughts there, Anne? Of the movie itself? Um, in relationship to the song. In relationship to the song. Um I'm always up for trying something different, whether that's a new arrangement, um, a new recording, a different musical style. So in that sense, I very much appreciate this song. I've mentioned there are some aspects of how they divvied up the lyrics that really struck me as special and different. I do think uh, Kobayashi re-recorded her, her lyrics because she just she sounds that bit much older. And I kind of love that extra couple decades of gravitas on her voice. Um, she sounds a little different than she did 20 years ago, but she's been through a lot of life and a lot of Pokemon in that time. So there's a, there's a lot of that's emotionally very special to me. As I said before, though, I'm not sure I'm in love with this arrangement just listening to it. It doesn't charm me in quite the same it doesn't speak to my personal emotional feelings about pokemon and like the way the song struck me and continues to strike me on a deep emotional level it's just musically nice but not doing that same purpose which is fine it may fulfill that purpose for somebody else but for me i'm not i'm not super in love with it but i am so glad i got to hear it because i i did appreciate several little moments and some of the little changes. Yeah, I think I, I noticed more of the the more broad changes, not having as, as deep an understanding of Japanese and whatnot. There are, are definitely some aspects like the uh, the change in dynamics from the original version and, and things like that uh, that get me a little bit differently, even though I've never seen the original animated version in uh, in Japanese and 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 stuff like that. I guess, you know, I, I do appreciate it. I, I'm glad they didn't just try and do a straight-up remaster with this uh, with, with the original song and try to do something a little bit different, though I think that is somewhat appropriate. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that gives us a, a good discussion of the, um, of the Japanese song. Let's talk about the English one. So like yes. we said, there is a totally different song. We talked about the production. With uh, Keep Evolving, uh, like I said, written by Ed Goldfarb and performed by a lot of the, the folks who have done stuff for the last five or six movies. And uh, the overall tone is where we usually start with this. And this one, you know, it, it starts off reasonably dark, as actually some of the other ones do. Uh, I, I will give to add that you know, a lot of his songs, when the character of the movie goes through sort of a, a character evolution, so to speak, that uh, a lot of times the end songs, I'm thinking specifically like the Hoopa movie, I think has a similar dynamic where there is sort of an opening up later in the song. Not that it doesn't happen with some of the other ones. I mean, The Power of One does that more gradually. I'll Always Remember You does a, a kind of similar thing with that. So it's not unheard of or anything, but this one also seems to to follow that general plan where there is a very dark and moody opening and then the rest of the song is is more bright, not maybe super cheerful, but relatively cheerful. And would you kind of uh does, does that make sense? Were the, those your thoughts? Did you have a different perspective? How how did this strike you? Very much the same way. And I mentioned like 
Um, in the same way Kazuto Ishini kind of fulfills an emotional purpose, when I heard this song, it was kind of that same vibe. Um, I think I've mentioned on my personal podcast, I, I struggle with some mental health issues and things. And one of the things I appreciate both about this song and the original Kazuto Ishini was like, it opens up on that dark note that I think many of us can relate to. And then it takes you into a place where it's like, you feel like it's going to be okay. And hearing this song keep evolving, like it's a very different musical vibe, I think, than Kaze Tolishuni, but it takes you on that same journey where you open up on the first couple chords and those lyrics and it's like your kingdom of one and you're feeling very alone and very upset. Um, and then it it takes you on, a, on an emotional arc through those feelings to a place where it's still kind of in a, a darkish place, but you feel a little bit better and more confident about the light at the end of the tunnel. I very much like this song. And for a movie with Mewtwo, as, as I've said, I at 12, I related a lot to him as a teenager. I still kind of relate to him now with some of those feelings of being lost in your life. I think this kind of taps in very much to what Mewtwo's going through in this movie. Yeah, you brought up the lyrics there, and I, I guess we should point out that uh, this is not a song that so, seems like it's trying to evoke the Ash-Pikachu relationship. For uh, a pardon change. The, <laughs> pardon the pun I'm about to do, but uh, I, I do feel that was a, a very uh, sensible choice. I think that had they tried to do that, that would have not have, say, reflected well. But it seems, at least in the, the preamble, to definitely be talking from Mewtwo's perspective, you know, Heart of Stone and mm -hmm. Army of One and, and stuff like that. And uh, the second, you know, the rest of the song is, is much more sort of has, has more of a unity dynamic um, sort of a versus the individual sort of feeling of the of the first part there. And I, I think that's a, a fair way of looking at it. Yeah, we haven't had like the 20 years to sit with this the way we had with We Are a Miracle. You know, we'd had plenty of time to listen and watch the movie over and over and form our thoughts about how they connected. But, you know, at first blush, this really like in deliberate ways with like their lines about keep keep evolving and army of one and also in just like metaphorical ways really seems to be honing in on what this movie was about and what happened in it to the characters in a way that some some Pokemon songs don't always seem to do. Yeah, I mean, granted, the evolution metaphor is maybe not perfect, because of course, not a single Pokemon, I believe, in this movie actually does do Pokemon evolution, regular or mega, even though some of them could, <laughs> over the course of this movie. They did not add any of that stuff in there, <laughs> which they very well could have, although I guess getting into the Sword and Shield generation where Mega Evolution just really isn't a thing, maybe they didn't want to try and do that. I'm not sure. But uh, so it's it's a metaphorical evolution, not in the usual Pokemon sense there, not the literal sense. But yeah, I, th I think it, it does cover those themes very well. Uh, how about, let's talk about the song, though, emotionally, because we're going to... Anne mentioned it, and we're definitely going to draw some comparisons, despite not being thematically the same thing. How does the song hit you emotionally, and, and how much emotion would you say it has in it? A, a ton. Like, I think I cried the first time I listened to it. Like, 
There is a lot of pathos in Haven's lyrics and, and the way she portrays them through the song. Um, there's a lot of deep feeling. And then the music supports that. Like when you get to the chorus, like there's a big swell of support underneath it musically. There's the moment, there, there's a lot of musical things going on to make you feel the things. Um, yeah, like it, it just, it's designed to take you from one place to another, um, it, it, to tell a complete story within a song. And it does that very well. There's a lot of deep feeling in this song, I think. I wouldn't totally disagree with you, but I, I don't <laughs> think, yeah, sorry, alternate perspective. It's not a bad song by any means, um, but it didn't really give me an emotional, you know, push, I think, the way. I think going back, we've, we've discussed before, uh, especially during like our Genesect and the Legend Awaken discussion about whether how difficult it might be to write a song that sort of fits the, the Mewtwo narrative and stuff like that. And I think this song does maybe about as well uh, as you could think. Um, although, I guess you could call it a fantasy. I, I I didn't get around to doing it for this, was to rewrite. Those of you who have seen my other stuff know I'm a big fan of the Australian rock group In Excess, and I have uh, considered rewriting their song Searching, which was written in uh, or released in 1997, a few years before this movie, to follow the, the Mewtwo storyline. Um, and I might still do that someday. Maybe that would have worked just fine in, back in 1999 for this, but maybe not so much now. I don't know if that were if that were somehow contractually possible. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, but as far as this this song here, I'm, I'm just it's good, and there's there's a, some decent emotion behind it, but it it didn't really hit hit me on a, a fundamental level. I think I'm not sure if that's just because I of all the other musical stuff we'll be talking about with the movie or, or what. Um, but, Anne, I'm, I'm very glad you really <laughs> enjoyed this. Like I said, it's no by no means a bad song. Uh, I'm not going to exaggerate just to make a counterpoint and stuff like that. But it, it's good, you know, it, but it, it's uh, maybe not as good as some other ideas that at least I would have liked to have seen. Uh, no guarantees, because I can't go to that alternate universe where that happens, but... Uh, <laughs> That's kind of the deal there. But uh, any other thoughts on this song, uh, musically or lyrically or otherwise, Anne? Um, not at the moment. Like, but you're right. Yes, music hits people differently. Like this song may not have spoken to you as well as another one may have, and that's fine. Hi, folks. This next part is actually based on a bit of a false premise. Weird Miracle did start as an unrelated song. But it was, in fact, rewritten and re-recorded for Pokemon, the first movie. Still a great song, though. Okay, well, well, we've been peppering in references to it, but obviously this song is definitely not We're a Miracle, which, as opposed to Don't Say You Love Me, which, you know, is a, a decent song, but we usually go with these discussions with if there are multiple songs in the end credits, whatever the first one is. And in the case of Pokemon, the first movie, the English dub, that is, in fact, We're a Miracle. And even though Keep Evolving is obviously going for a different sound, which, like I said, is probably a good thing, especially since, you know, if you want an Ash Pikachu song from Ed Goldfarb, I would say check out uh, I Choose You from the uh, movie of the same name from a couple years ago. I think that that fits that niche. That's another reason I didn't want them to try and do that. 
But uh, despite them trying to avoid such a comparison, we're going to do such a comparison here because we <laughs> we would be remiss if we didn't. Um, but we're a miracle. First of all, despite what you may have heard or thought or whatever, not written for Pokemon the first movie, period. Um, so based on some information um, I got from Todd Chapman, uh, I wanted to do an interview, but he wasn't really available for that. But he did confirm that, no, it wasn't written for Pokemon the first movie. It appears to have been um, recorded. He said when she came out to L.A. for the first time, it was part of a demo series. So earlier this week, I um, bought a, a, an ebook from really kind of the early 2000s that covers the early parts of Christina's career. I think it's called Christina Aguilera, A Star is Made. The uh, It's an unauthorized biography, but it, it, they got some pretty good access there and, and whatnot, it seems. Um, it's got some like spacing issues because I think they had to just scan in the, the actual pages to digitize it and use optical character recognition and all that fun stuff. But it's like a $4 ebook if you want to take a look at it. Uh, maybe a few uh, semi-risque images in there, but otherwise not too bad and a little bit of language here and there. But as far as the song itself, so Christina did really two demo tapes. She did one before she was signed to an album, and that would eventually become her Just Be Free album that she really didn't want released back in like 2001. Uh, they had been recorded five or six years before that. And uh, later, around the time that she got picked to do Reflection for Mulan, speaking of movies getting remade, she got signed to a contract with RCA, and they asked her to do a demo tape. And I think what happened is, um, I like to refer to We're a Miracle as Reflection's lesser-known sibling song, is probably the best way to think about it. It was actually co-written by... Uh, David Zappel, who also wrote Reflection. So if you notice any musical similarities between these songs beyond just who's singing it, that's probably one of the reasons why. But I suspect that outside of the sessions for doing Reflection or for maybe when she stuck around for a few extra days to hear the uh, the orchestral part of that song, um, I think that's about when this was recorded, which would have put it in early 1998 before... Uh, Pokemon the first movie had even been released in Japan. It would that would come in about I think it's like July of that year is when Mewtwo Strikes Back was released in Japan. There. Now the other thing that think, makes people think this was rewritten is there actually are two versions of We're a Miracle. Um, the first one has Todd Chapman and um, David Zappel listed as writers. The version on the Pokemon soundtrack, which I guess came later but probably around the, was recorded around the same time. Uh, also list Christina Aguilera, and from what I've read, may actually be the first thing of hers uh, that where she has a writing credit on that was commercially released. So that probably gives it, if that's the case, it probably gives it a bit of a special meaning to her as well to have something out there. But um, again, I, I'm not sure how that came about. It has, as far as I know, nothing to do with the movie. It's just something that... Maybe she decided I'm gonna, you know, test my writing skills and and do a, an alternate take. Uh, the non quote unquote non Pokemon version um, is more about a lover's relationship versus the version you hear in in the first movie and credits, which is more about a friendship. And like I said, I do not know what really spurred that on, but as far as I know, it has no relationship to the movie, and and that might explain why Christina doesn't seem to talk about it too much. 
Uh, she doesn't want to spoil that. She knows it has a very special meaning. So I would guess that that's one reason. Then it's not as certainly not as famous as Reflection. Let, let's be honest here. Even as good as a song and as good as a home as I think it found. Any thoughts on the stuff I just put out there before we... I do want to discuss this a little more. I don't want to make this a, a, a Christina Aguilera special episode or anything like that. But given how <laughs> close we are to the Mulan remake, we kind of have to you know, talk about the elephant in the room. Mm, it, yeah, like I just... I don't know. We're a Miracle has always been, as you say, a, a special song to me just because despite not being written for the movie, it does fit so well. Like, it's hard to compare it to Keep Evolving because I think you mentioned, like, it kind of fits more the Ash and Pikachu relationship than the Mewtwo story arc. And there's kind of an, I'm kind of just having some interesting thoughts kind of beginning where it's like when I was that age, when it first came out, I was there for Ash and Pikachu. That's that's why we all wanted to see the movie is because we fell in love with the anime and those characters. I think now... As an adult, I appreciate more Mewtwo's role as the as co-protagonist and his emotional journey. So there's a part of me that right now is gravitating a bit more toward Keep Evolving, but it's very interesting to have like those two very different perspectives because from Ash and Pikachu's perspective, it's a completely different movie. And obviously a completely different song would represent that. Yeah, I... I... I get what you're saying there. You know, I mean, I, to be honest, although I knew for a while that this would probably have a different ending theme song than We're a Miracle, you know, I mean, there's other ways they could have used it. At the very least, I would have liked to have seen, you know, get that on digital services because that song is still yeah. generally not on digital services because at least you'd want to, like, capitalize on the remake that mm -hmm. way. And why it isn't in there, uh, let me just say, I did try contact management both for Christina Aguilera and for Blessed Souls to see if they had any comment. Neither of them got back to me. Not a complete surprise, but, you know, they may not want to say too much because they don't want to, you know, uh, make make any enemies or, or say something they regret later or something like that. But still, I wanted to give them a shot to say, hey, this is what we tried. Because I, I have to imagine that at least one of those acts, if not both of them, when they found out some way or another about this movie, um, that they would have contacted... Uh, the Pokemon company to at least try to do to get something together. Mm. Yeah, Blessed Union of Souls in it, especially their music is not the type that kids who are listening to Pokemon, the first movie would have normally listened to, I think. Like they were probably not on the the same radar. Maybe Christina Aguilera was with Reflection and the like, but it was an opportunity for a lot of us to get to know them a little bit and get to have an appreciation for their wider catalog of music and like to be able to get that with an entire new generation. Not everybody gets that chance. So I imagine if it were presented to them, that would be something they'd be interested in. Yeah. So it's possible either artistically or whatever the Pokemon company wasn't interested or monetarily, they, they couldn't work something out. I don't see a reason why if they had the, the money and the time and whatnot, they couldn't have, you know, uh, either remastered or outright re-recorded We Are a Miracle and, you know, maybe even had Christina do like a Spanish version, which we did not Ooh. get with the original one. But um, you had mentioned Blessing You Souls. Let's talk about the other song that uh, some folks have felt <gasps> yes. is glaringly missing. I, I would say even... Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Pokepress Digest podcast. 
We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. I, uh, by the way, I should point out in that biography, I learned a few other interesting things like back in like 1995, so before Pokemon came out even in Japan, but she did have like a, a stint there where she did uh, sort of a duet with a somewhat well-known Japanese performer. I, I would like to know how it actually ended up in the orbit because it was based on a mastering CD I was able to pick up off of eBay and I have an unboxing for. It was uh, apparently uh, a very late addition to the soundtrack, but someone discovered it. And had they known how successful that stuff would be, uh, Weird Miracle did end up as like the B-side to uh, What a Girl Wants and probably pushed a few extra copies of that single um, to so people could get that, which was a very successful you know, number one chart-topping song, and that probably didn't hurt. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say about it just because it wasn't in the movie, but it's hard not to talk about it, not to bring it into the discussion somehow. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose if they wanted to, like, not have a re-recorded version of it, but maybe, I don't know, save themselves a bit of money and insert, like, a, a few notes from it somewhere in the movie, I think a good spot for it would have been to put maybe a few notes from the chorus into that scene where right after Ash pulls Pikachu out of the cloning machine oh, and stuff yeah. like that, maybe that would have been a good spot to insert a few lines from a song or a... Um, a few notes into the score if they had had the time either then or now. Mm-hmm.